0: All right, guys. Welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is... Kriags Over Coffee. coffee.
1: Today, we welcome Dr. Deanna Glassman. Dr. Glassman is one of our colleagues in the fourth-year class of Brown Women and Infants, who is going to share with us her experience of applying into gynecologic oncology. Thanks for joining us, Deanna.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for the invitation. So first of all, Deanna, I think, you know, most people listening probably already know what Gynonc is, but for some of our, you know, um, more junior listeners, what exactly is gynecology oncology?
2: Yeah, great question. oncology or Gynonc as we often refer to it, is um, truly just the um, diagnosing and treating cancers of the female genital tract. So that includes vaginal cancer, vulval cancer, cervical, uterine, and ovarian cancer. Um, It's a subspecialty um, that requires an additional fellowship that can be anywhere from three to four years in length.
1: In terms of the preparation for gynecologic oncology, or if, say, you're heading into that as your thought of a chosen field, what should you be thinking about in years one and two of residency?
2: Yeah, I think um, when you approach residency, you could kind of think about uh, being a pluripotent stem cell, kind of let everything hit you (laughs) and decide what you want to be. But I think if you're um, partially thinking about it, gaining some extra experience within um, surgical... um, Arenas, I guess you could say, within residency, and trying to think and identify mentors that could potentially set you up for potential research projects. Um, doesn't have to be research projects within g oncology specifically, but um, someone that could help get you plugged into something that is a little bit more extracurricular to help boost your um, competitiveness as an applicant. Um, what about like your CREOG
0: scores or like going to SGO and those mm-hmm. kinds of things in those two years? Are those important?
2: I think that going to SGO isn't important from a um, application perspective. I think it's helpful to help you identify if that's a field that you're interested in, if you want to go um, into G1 Oncology, but it's not a requirement for you to go to SGO in order to apply, um, although it helps helps you to identify a little bit more uh, what the field's all about. In terms of CREOG scores, it depends on who you ask. Um, certainly, the CREAG scores are things that you have to submit on your application for G1 Oncology, but um, having gone through the application process, I was never asked about my score um and no one ever referenced it whatsoever so it's hard for me to say how important it was in in me obtaining a spot within fellowship because it wasn't uh directly addressed um but you definitely have to submit the scores for what's that for what that's worth
1: So you've gotten through the first two years of residency. You're heading into third year now. Maybe you've got a little research projects that you've started under your arm and everything like that. What else do you need to do now that you're heading into the senior years of residency to get set up for success?
2: Yeah, I think that um, certainly identifying mentors within the field within your own institution is important. If you happen to be in a program that doesn't have G1 oncology as a specialty, that's going to be a little bit more challenging and definitely you have a little bit more of an uphill road. If that's the case, you can consider doing a, um, an away rotation somewhere um, like MD Anderson or Memorial Sloan Kettering. They have away rotations. And ultimately, if you're coming from a program that doesn't have a Department of g Oncology, it's essentially a requirement to do those away rotations because otherwise um, programs, when they look at you, don't really know how to compare apples to apples. They don't know um, your letter writers. They don't know anyone within the field. And so you, you have to do one of those away rotations to really... Um, be considered an applicant in the process. Um, in terms of other things in your third and fourth year, um, I think in the third year, se- certainly working on your research projects and trying to get into some sort of um, conference to be able to present whether it's poster or oral, um, just to kind of boost your your CV. But again, it doesn't have to be research within juvenile oncology. It can absolutely be research of any sort. They just want to see that you're involved in academia and involved in something that you're using your own brain and um, putting forth a project that that's kind of your own. Um, so those are things to definitely focus on as you get forward in your third year.
0: Um, can you give me, like, more of a timeline, Deanna, of what you did in your third year? So, like, for example, for MFM, I think, you know, we – probably started looking like in the middle of the year, January Mm -hmm. was like when we started to identify programs. Is Mm -hmm. that similar
2: for GYNOS? Is that different? You certainly can um, get the ball rolling in that January uh, timeframe, but you do not have to apply um, or even really, you know, get your application ready until – I would say end of March or April 1st is kind of a final deadline of when your application needs to be in. So I think it's ideal to identify in January, February, to be able to um, kind of get an idea of where you might want to apply and looking at their websites directly. Unfortunately, there's not a universal date that all programs abide by. For the most part, they're all very similar, but they're not all on the same system in terms of when the applications are due. So I think it's important if you have geographic restrictions or certain programs that you're really interested in, certainly checking out those websites and getting an idea of when the application is due from those um, specifically would be really helpful so that you can make sure you don't miss those important deadlines.
1: Speaking of the beginning of application season and trying to decide on where to apply to or how broadly to apply, are there any resources that exist for joan oncology to compare programs to one another? Or is it really just going to the website and figuring that out?
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no um, major online resource that kind of forms a ranking system of the programs. A lot of that is truly based on hearsay and your own um, institution and mentors' impressions of the program. So I think that's one of the biggest things that could be improved in this whole process within G1 Oncology specifically. Um, so definitely kind of, Narrowing it down for yourself, if you have no geographic restrictions based on family or or anything else in your life, um, then you have a lot more work to do to try to figure out where you want to go. But looking at the websites directly, there is some information on, you know, Doximity and things like that. But it is a lot about um, really just the reputation within, you know, the people that you know that can kind of help guide you. And that is probably one of the the harder things about this process.
0: What about like your – your letters of recommendation and your personal statement and things like that. Like what is the timeline for you in terms of gathering those things? Like mm-hmm. who's going to write your letters? Who's going to read your you know, totally. personal statement? How did you determine that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I got a pretty good piece of advice that um, identifying your letter writers and requesting that um, letter to be finished approximately two weeks before you set the deadline of when you want to submit your application. As I mentioned, application, usually if you submit by April 1st, that's a pretty safe margin and that includes for these upcoming applicants that are going to apply for fellowship in 2021. Um, So I would say, you know, for me personally, I asked for my letters in mid-February or so, so that I could give my letter writers about a month to respond. You want to be respectful of the time of your mentors, and certainly um, giving them a full month's time is, is, a, is a good amount of time to, so that with their busy schedule they can accommodate it. In terms of who writes the letters, um, most of the programs require three letters, but you can submit four if you want to. Um, so generally speaking, this would come from the chair of your department, the chair of OBGYN. Um, usually someone higher up within your department of GYN Oncology a research mentor, and then some other faculty member that knows you well, whether that's within research or just within clinical work is kind of a a rough outline of who to ask the letters for.
1: So you said the deadline is variable, but generally by April 1st. Mm -hmm. Um, So you submit your application, you've done your personal statement, gotten your letters, when does the interviewing process start and how does that look
2: yeah so um, in terms of offers for interviews they came pretty quickly after the um, applications were finalized to be honest with you I was starting to get uh, responses with at the end of May/ slash, or end of April sorry and early um, May and the interview season occurs uh, it's getting earlier and earlier every year this year um, when I was interviewing the first interview occurred the first weekend of June and extended through um August into early September. So it's the whole summer long, but it can it's starting a little bit earlier up into June. Um, so that's important too. One thing stepping back to your timeline within third year, if you have any say in in developing your schedule as a third year resident, um, it's helpful to kind of identify that with any of your colleagues that might also be applying to fellowship to be able to make sure that you can try to get as much time off as you can during those summer months. Um, speaking of interviews,
0: Deanna, what did that look like? Do you have any, um advice for people going into Nog, um, about interviews. So like something even as simple as like how to dress, what
2: questions to ask, what to look for in programs. Totally. So I, I tried to narrow it down for myself in, um, in what I was looking for in programs, and then that translated to be helpful, actually, on the interview trail itself and how to respond to questions, et cetera. So I, um, I had the system, don't make, you can make fun of me for <laughs> if you want, but I called it my four boxes. So I, I kind of thought about it. What are the four most important things that matter to me? What am I looking for in a program? So um, my boxes included things like life and the culture in the city that um, I would be going to as well as um, if it would be supportive for my family, I have a two-year-old that you can here in the background, Um, as well as um, just the training in general. Um, For me, that came down to looking into is it predominantly robotic versus straight stick laparoscopy Um, and how many institutions do I work at? What's the call schedule like? Um, Then the third thing was um, research and kind of the um, – the system there how many years is it one versus two years are you working predominantly in a lab do you have options um, that's the the kind of the third thing of my quote four boxes and then the last thing for me um, I'm actually blanking off the top of my head hold on it's because it's hard to remember because it's the intangibles, the intangible thing. So just the vibe that I got, a lot of people saying like, when you get to your interview, you know, do you feel like it's the right fit? Do you feel like it's the right people? So in terms of trying to rank those programs, I also did that sort of intangible mark just based on the website. Like, does it feel like a place that I would fit in? Um, and then when I got on the interview trail, I would apply those same sort of boxes and kind of evaluating how the interview day went. Um... You lots of questions about how to prepare for the interview trail. I think certainly, you know, reviewing the website before you go to kind of get a sense of what's the the things that they emphasize the most, what are the research areas that people are working on right now, um, and just the logistics of how to get where you need to go, et cetera. Um, and then I think on interview day itself, I also had a similar mindset of no matter what anybody asked me, I went into the interview saying, I want to make sure that they know X, Y, and Z about me. And I would come up with those things beforehand so that regardless of what question was asked, I would answer them in the way that I wanted to answer. Um, And it's amazing when you really think about it. If you want to, you can just start talking about whatever you want and it can eventually get back to the answering their question. Um, But I made sure to walk out of there knowing that they knew what I wanted them to know about me.
1: Were there questions in particular at the interview that you knew were going to come up frequently or every time that you had an interview with somebody or maybe some questions that you didn't expect that came up more frequently?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, I think the question that almost always came up that everyone expects is why want oncology? They start out with that. So why are you here? Why do you want to do this? Um, and I think that was one that I struggled with a lot. You'd think that it'd be so incredibly obvious, right? But I think you kind of wanted to be able to answer it in a way that didn't come off as sounding trite or something that they had heard a million times before. But ultimately, they just want to make sure that you're interested. So I wouldn't stress too much about that question. Um, there were some random things in there. You know, there's, there's definitely several programs that are doing behavioral interviewing so they kind of put you on the spot a little bit more and some of them are definitely doing group interviews where there's two or three interviewers to the one applicant um, and that can feel a little bit odd at first definitely so kind of um, if you have the opportunity to do mock interviews that's an amazing way to kind of prep yourself on how to talk about yourself that can be challenging um, without sounding um, pompous but also being confident um and you know, questions about kind of your background, they really wanna know a lot about your research too to get a sense of if you will be productive in your research years within fellowship.
0: Um, I remember you telling me Deanna that for certain programs they required you to do like a presentation, like mm. a PowerPoint presentation and yeah. I kind of balked at that because we didn't have to do that for MFM. Was yeah. that like a common theme for most people or was yeah. that like a one program kind of thing?
2: I wouldn't say that it's common, but it definitely wasn't um, the the minimum. So there was probably, I think I had to give presentations at about uh, five to six programs. Um, and it was the same presentation at every program, so that made it somewhat easy. But of course, everyone had a slightly different uh, requirement of what you should do, how long it should be. One of them, it was three minutes. The other one was 15. So you can imagine your presentation is quite different, but I use the same project for all of them. So you get pretty good at your spiel by the end of the interview trail, um, and you can kind of adapt the same presentation. So it is good to have something that you either prepared to give a presentation at your residency program or something that you already feel comfortable with before you start the trail. Um, Ultimately, it didn't have to be a research project pertaining to GMAT oncology, but that certainly made it more comfortable to discuss something that was within the field.
1: Was there a target number of interviews that you were mentored to go on? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I would say that most people recommended anywhere between um, ten to fifteen was sort of the target. Fifteen being the max, and ten definitely being the minimum. Um, and you know, I shot for somewhere between twelve and thirteen, um, and I ended up going on fourteen. <laughs> so. So, what about making a rank list? I know you talked about those like
0: four things mm-hmm. that were important to you. Um, did you, you know, how did you make your rank list? Did you, like, reach out to people and tell them, like, hey, you're my number one, hey, you're in my top five, that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, I um, I definitely did reach out, but ultimately it came down to decisions beforehand and I didn't use the response um... – either positive or negative from a program to help me identify my rank list, to be honest with you. Um, I went with what I felt would be the best fit for my family and for myself and my goals within training. And so I didn't um, rely on a response from a program to dictate my my fellowship rank list. Um, I think that certainly I use those those four boxes, as I mentioned, and kind of put all of them in their own categories. And I have the benefit of having a um, statistician for a husband that created this very extensive Excel spreadsheet that was color-coded, actually, to uh, come up with a ranking score of my own for all of the programs, and then it became actually pretty simple um, because I saw all my programs color-coded from green to red (laughs) in terms of putting them in order. But if you don't have someone so wonderful um, in your life that can help you do that, I think that just focusing on um, what matters most to you and kind of, um, you know, really, truly, as silly as it sounds, what feels the best. Um, And it's a hard thing to do. Coming up with that rank list is definitely difficult. In terms of the rank list too, I think that it's important to know that if there is a program that you really didn't fit well with, weighing that decision of would I rather um, match in g oncology or not? Would I rather go to this program or not match? And really having that heart-to-heart with yourself about if there's a program that really didn't jive well with you, that you don't see yourself being happy there for whatever reason, whether it's the location or the people there or the program. Um, I think it's important to allow yourself to not rank a program if if you really feel like you would rather not match than to go there.
0: (laughs) Well, awesome, Dana. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and talking to us about your experience um, and your advice, of course, about applying into GYN oncology. I'm sure listeners will find this very valuable. Um, So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee.
1: So guys, if you like this podcast, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review.
0: You can find us online on Twitter at CriogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at over Coffee. And also, if you want to give us some support and get some swag or a shout-out on the show, go ahead and go on to Patreon.com slash coffee.
1: You can find notes for all of our episodes on our website, CreogsoverCoffee.com.
0: And if you have a suggestion for uh, a, another show or have corrections for a previous show, go ahead and email us. coffee at gmail.com.